You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, we thank you for this uh, beautiful morning that you give to us. And now as we look at your word given to you by your Holy Spirit, to us, your people, we pray that you would bless us, that you would forgive all our sins, and that you would make us people who honor you with our thoughts, with our lips, and everything that we do. We pray for Andrew and the church as, a, as a, an ending to a ministry today. We pray that you would bless him and his family and bless the Advent uh, by bringing uh, a new and correct person for this post. And we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, last week we began a, a three-part series on the theology of the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, when we talk about the theology of a book, we're simply saying, uh, meaning by theology, what is it that the Bible teaches about this topic and that topic and that topic? The theology of a topic is what the Bible says and what we understand the Bible to be saying about that particular topic. So we're looking at uh, the, th uh, the th okay, you got one. Yep, that's right. There you go. Uh, the theology of the Acts of the Apostles. And last week um, we we looked at um, more of the relationship between the go uh, the Gospel of Luke, which is the first volume to a two-part work, right? So the Gospel of Luke and then the Acts of the Apostles is the second volume in this uh, two-volume work of the evangelist Luke. And now uh, we talked about uh, why this book of Acts is important, uh, how it fits in the canon, and how it helps us read the rest of the New Testament given the place that it has in the canon. Today, in the second part, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, and so let's just, let's just get to it. Uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We say that uh, every Sunday when we say together the Apostles' Creed or uh, the Nicene Creed. Um, and one of the reasons we say that is because the Spirit is uh, so present in the, in the whole Bible. Just about every book of the Bible mentions the Holy Spirit. In fact, the, back, the Bible begins, in a sense, with the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the waters, and was void, and the Spirit of God, uh, like a dove, uh, hover over the uh, chaos, basically, of the waters and the seas. Um, but if there is one book where we see the Spirit uh, even being the central character of the book, I would suggest that it is the book of Acts. And that's why I have called this part two uh, of the story, second part of the story, the Holy Spirit as the central character of Acts. Um, the book of Acts, like any good history or story, has characters. There is a plot, there is a setting, there are the places where people do their activities. Uh, and even though we have people like uh, Peter and Paul and so on, really the main character is the, is the 
Holy Spirit in the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, God, the third person of the Trinity, is the main character in this second book of Luke. Uh, and so I wanted to explore that uh, in, in three ways today. Uh, and the first way is by looking at how Luke names the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible as a whole speaks of the Holy Spirit in many ways. We just saw in Genesis 1 and the Spirit of God. Uh, in another part, Romans 1, it speaks about the Spirit of holiness. Um, some places it simply says the Spirit. Uh, when we look at Acts, what is the dominant appellation of the Holy Spirit? How does Luke name the Holy Spirit? What I did is I went uh, with an electronic concordance. I looked at every time the word Spirit is used in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, excepting when it referred to the human spirit, which of course is not the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is what I found. Uh, the four names of the Holy Spirit are A, the Holy Spirit, by far the most common naming of the Spirit, B, simply the Spirit. You can see that there is a, a few verses there. And then the last two are the Spirit of the Lord. The question is, is of the Lord, is that a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is that a reference to the Lord God? We can talk about that. And then lastly, there is the phrase, the Spirit of Jesus. But by and large, the dominant phrase for naming the Spirit in Acts is the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, um, I think that it is wise that when we look at theological terms um, like the Holy Spirit, we not only look at the name, but we look at the actions of the Holy Spirit. Normally, we learn the identity, the true identity of an individual by looking at her actions or by looking at his actions. And so we can spend hours here talking about what does Holy Spirit mean. And I will talk a little bit about that. But much better, I think, is to see what it is that he does to know who he is, to know his identity. Uh, having said that, let me, uh, well, first, first let's look at, few, obviously we're not going to look at all these texts, uh, but uh, let's look at a couple of them uh, so we can see how uh, Luke names the Spirit. So right from the beginning of the work, in the first chapter, um, immediately he, st he speaks of the Holy Spirit. So in the preface to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verse 1, Luke begins by reference, referencing his former book. So he says in verse 1, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And by the way, notice how the first book, Luke, is primarily about the words and the acts of Jesus. 
the Acts of the Apostles, by contrast, is going to be primarily about the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But when we get we get to verse 2, and he continues, Until the day he was taken up to heaven, and we are celebrating that today, Ascension Day, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So right at the beginning of Acts, mention is made of the Holy Spirit. And then uh, a little bit further down in verse 5, here Jesus uh, is allowed to speak. Verse 5, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So right away, the beginning verses of this book are full of language of the Holy Spirit. And uh, if, if, if you were to look, uh, perhaps at home, if you like, uh, the, the verses that are there, uh, almost every chapter of Acts is covered uh, with mention of the work of the Holy Spirit. There is a gap. If you look at the last two uses, uh, chapter 21, verse 11, and chapter 28, verse 25, uh, there you see that there's a big gap there of like seven chapters where the Holy Spirit is not mentioned. That is, that, that is a section on Acts where Paul is being tried when he's in prison and when, when that shipwreck happens and they wander around in the sea. But otherwise, the Holy Spirit dominates the pages of the Acts of the Apostles. So, uh, what about now the, uh, the language? Uh, what, what is the meaning of Holy Spirit? Well, uh, it's difficult, <laughs> very difficult to know what exactly the Bible means by this, 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 this name, because uh, Spirit, uh, God Himself is Spirit. God the Father is spirit. Remember when uh, Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman? He said, God is spirit. And then Jesus, prior to his incarnation, he was also spirit. He uh, was the, the, uh, the Lord before the incarnation. And then he takes on flesh when he's incarnate and keeps that flesh, even as he ascends into heaven. He doesn't leave his, his flesh behind here <laughs> and then goes to heaven without flesh. But in some miraculous way, he, he keeps flesh. And so to say that, that God is the Holy Spirit is almost it's, it's a tautology. It's right. Uh, by definition, uh, God is spirit. So the, the uh, emphasis may be falling on the fact that he is the Holy Spirit. Um, and how to speak of the holiness of God. Uh, many things we can say, but uh, as I see it, the, the main emphasis with the phrase or with the word holy is God's utter transcendence. God's utter transcendence. What do we mean by that? Um, we mean by that that God is above and beyond everything He has created. God has created the universe. He has created the seen and the unseen. But He Himself is not part of that creation. 
that creation is apart from him. He comes to interact with that creation. The Holy Spirit, we see, is going to be hanging out with the church, as it were. And Jesus eventually will himself become part of this creation by being born and participating in time as a human being participates in time, past, present, and future. But when we speak of God being spirit, we're, speaking, we're talking about his utter transcendence. Uh, there was a time when uh, there was no nothing created, uh, uh, but God has always been. Uh, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has always been, is eternal. And so the Holy Spirit, uh, the emphasis falls on the fact that He's absolutely transcendent, absolutely beyond, uh, and yet He wants to interact with the humanity and with the creation that He has made. And, and right there, as I reflected on that, uh, one of the first uh, moments of joy of the Bible study came to me, and that is that this transcendent spirit, who is not of this world, who cannot be controlled by the humans and humanity of this world, it is that same Holy Spirit who comes and abides with us, and who, according to the book, the book of Acts, fills us. That doesn't make us little gods, but it makes us to participate in the life of God. So think about that. God the Holy Spirit, whose, <coughs> singu <coughs> excuse me, whose singularity as, as holy is highlighted by the fact that He is the Holy Spirit, who is transcendent, who is not made of, of any of this stuff, but actually He makes this stuff, that that very transcendent Spirit chooses out of pure love to be with us. And so that we can hear of being filled with the Spirit, of um, receiving the Holy Spirit, of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. The transcendent God, in His mode of being a spirit, decides to live with us. So that's, I think that's pretty cool. Um, to delve a little deeper into the conceptuality of the Holy Spirit, I have a quotation here from... Uh, a German theologian, uh, this, is, this, is, this is not my translation, it's, it's, it's already translated, but uh, it's a, he's talking about Paul's conception of the Holy Spirit, and I think it's pretty similar to Luke's. So I thought this might be a helpful quote. He says, quote, Because the Spirit of God participates in God's own holiness, it or he, remember, the word spirit in Greek is, is a neuter noun, uh, but that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is <laughs> neuter. It's uh, the Holy Spirit, like like God, is neither male nor female. Uh, so, uh, and so I think that's why he uses the word it. Again, because the Spirit of God participates in God's own holiness, it becomes the Holy Spirit. Because God is holy, God's Spirit cannot be anything other than holy. Or conversely, the Spirit is holy because it is the Spirit of God. Any questions or thoughts about um, the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> a very abstract phrase, a very abstract name, that yet we get to understand better by what He does. But any questions so far about this designation of the third person of the Trinity as the Holy Spirit? Yeah. I have 
more questions. Uh -huh. So I think in, it's also referred to as the helper. So that doesn't really, <coughs> an active doesn't really use. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> I think you see his action as helper, but not the name the helper. So that's a, that's a good observation. So in John, right, the Gospel of John, he's the helper. Um, and I think the concept of helper is present in Acts, but not that name. So, uh, and I think that's, that's why we have so many books of the New Testament. Because one author cannot capture everything about, about the one God, right? So that's good, good. Do you uh -huh. think that uh, that Jewish people in reading the Old Testament see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament in a similar way that we do or completely different? Yeah, so we view the Holy Spirit as a person, right, as an agent. Uh, we can speak what, what, what makes a person a person, right? But... Uh, so we view the spirit as a person, as an agent, as a um, yeah, an active agent, um, <clears throat> and it depends what part of Judaism you go to. I think uh, um, the in rabbinic Judaism, um, the spirit is sometimes viewed as a way of speaking of God. I don't think they have a worked out ontology of the Holy Spirit the way that we do. Um, I know that in, in, in other types of Judaism, like Merkava, Merkava mysticism Judaism, maybe the Holy Spirit is more of a person. So remember that in Judaism, it's different from Christianity in this sense, that whereas in Christianity, when we start talking and discussing a theme of the Bible, we want to get to a to an answer, um, but in in Hebrew exegesis, the play is the thing. Um, you don't have to get to an answer, just talking and discussing the topic. And Rabbi Rabbi Meyer and Rabbi um, Johann Ben Sakai, for example, it's okay if they don't come to the same conclusion. Uh, and so <laughs> uh, that's so. <clears throat> You're gonna find different different rabbis with different answers, but I do think that there is a a precedent in the Holy Spirit in viewing the Spirit uh, as an agent, as a person that is concretized in the New Testament. Yeah. Well, so like in the Old Testament, they talk about the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Yep. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So what? So what is the difference? You know, that brings to question the the difference between uh, the Holy Spirit with the Christians in the New Testament and the Holy Spirit with the people of God in the Old Testament. Well. The, the difference that one of the differences that I see is that in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come momentarily upon people, like you said, like Saul. Or many times in the Torah, you see that the Spirit would come upon someone and would give the skill 
maybe to a to a worker, a craftsman to build the temple in just just the right way. And then on David, we know that the Holy Spirit. But <clears throat> there's a fear that the Spirit might leave. Uh, David in Psalm 51, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Whereas in the New Testament, the idea is of the Spirit coming to abide permanently with us. Now, what that means, the Holy Spirit abiding in us and with us, I want to talk about that use of language in a minute because it's complicated. <laughs> but yes, good, good. Um, <clears throat> let's look at the, the next three uh, names of the Spirit. Uh, in many places, the Holy Spirit is simply the Spirit. Um, and then in other parts, He is the Spirit of the Lord. And I think the idea there is that... Um, <coughs> excuse me, I have some allergies. Uh, the Spirit, either uh, from the Lord God the Father or the Lord Jesus Christ, is sent. And then uh, a magnificent... Uh, phrase is found in Acts 16, 7, where we are told that the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them uh, to go into a particular region they thought about. So, um, <clears throat> we can see here, I, I, I think, oh, thank you, very good. <clears throat> Thanks. We can see here that the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the Father and to the Son, uh, and so that you can speak of the Spirit of the Lord or the Spirit of Jesus, um, the triune God. Okay, let's move to number two, and uh, perhaps even more enlightening to know the Holy Spirit is what the Holy Spirit does in Acts. I have a quotation here from a, a Swiss-French commentator, Daniel Margaret. He says that the Spirit, quote, speaks, inspires, suggests, orients, mobilizes the witnesses. So, end of quote, many, many actions uh, of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Uh, I want to suggest, however, in letter A there, that the dominant language in Acts is that of the Spirit filling the believers. Many things are said of the Spirit. The Spirit speaks, um, does signs, empowers, and so on. But the main language, if you go through the book of Acts, the main language of the Spirit vis-a-vis -vis human beings is that the Spirit fills the believers. And then this verb, to fill, is used to communicate a number of concepts. So taking that verb, to fill, uh, to fill for what? And then he takes a number of concepts with that. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts? Well, here are at least three thoughts. Number one, to be filled with the Spirit is to be empowered by the Spirit for ministry. And I think the first place we see that is in Acts chapter 2. So we looked at it last week. The disciples are waiting uh, in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit uh, at Pentecost. And then the Spirit comes. He fills them. They speak in other tongues. Uh, and then they go to the temple and they minister. 
uh, and, and that ministry consists of many things. They prophesy, they preach, they speak in tongues, they see visions, and surprisingly, you would think there's more of this in Acts, surprisingly, there, is, uh, there are only a few linkages of the Spirit uh, empowering to heal. Um, God does heal a lot in the book of Acts, but many times that is not attributed, attributed to the agency of the Spirit, but rather to the agency of the risen Lord. Uh, so, for example, uh, Peter says to Aeneas, Aeneas, the, the Lord Jesus Christ heals you. Or, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, be healed. So, the Spirit empowers for ministry, but the kind of ministry that He empowers in the book of Acts is not primarily a healing ministry as we saw with Jesus in the gospel. It is primarily a ministry of prophecy, which, which can mean a couple of things. It can mean simply speaking God's word to the people of God. Uh, or it can also mean speaking the future, although that is much less in the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, preaching. Is, is something that the Spirit empowers the people of God for. Speaking in tongues, uh, speaking in a language that someone has not learned before. Uh, I think Paul talks about this too in 1 Corinthians 14, but I think Paul, for Paul it's more a matter of prayer, uh, that the Spirit gives you the ability to pray in other tongues that, that we don't know. Uh, the Spirit allows them to see visions uh, and so on and just a couple of times to heal but think of the Holy Spirit filling you filling us in order to empower us for ministry which means the following that without the Holy Spirit we couldn't do well that which God calls us to do without the Holy Spirit we could, we could not do well that which the Spirit calls us to do. So, whatever ministry uh, God calls us to do, we need the Holy Spirit. And we pray, come Holy Spirit. On my own, I cannot do this. Regardless of how experienced I am doing this, or how inexperienced I am in doing this. Please come Holy Spirit, empower me. And the empowerment is not so much so that we will look good while we're doing the ministry, but it's rather so that it would, uh, God would have an effect on the people who are receiving our ministry. So I may come and teach and make a fool out of myself, but if God spoke to your heart and started doing a work in your life, that's what I pray for. That's what matters. That's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's more on the target than on the agent okay uh, number two uh, another uh, word that is used is to receive the Holy Spirit and we have until what time 10 1050 is that 1053 more or less yeah okay so we have a few more minutes okay good so to receive the Holy Spirit so Paul asks at one point Paul is traveling to Ephesus one of the great cities of the ancient part of the Greek-Roman Empire. And he meets some disciples of John the Baptist. 
and he asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? And uh, remarkably, they say, we haven't even heard of a Holy Spirit. <laughs> so he said, so he, so he, he talks to them about Jesus and then they receive the Holy Spirit. But, the, but we hear language of receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, so um, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we receive the Holy Spirit. We are vessels upon which the Holy Spirit comes to abide. And then thirdly, um, the, the language of filling signifies three, that we are united with other believers so as to make one people of Jews and Gentiles. When the Holy Spirit fills us, simultaneously He supernaturally links us, unites us to other Christians, male and female, Jews and Gentile. And that is one of the, that's one of the big messages uh, or one of the important messages in the book of Acts, uh, especially in Pentecost. So I want us to look real quick at, at chapter 2, because the Holy Spirit uh, is an international Holy Spirit. Um, and the moment the, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, immediately you hear of uh, of many people becoming one. Uh, so, uh, verse 4 of chapter 2, we are told um, that all of them, and by the way, all of them refers to all the disciples of Jesus, men and women. So not just the apostles, but all the disciples. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, so so what is the meaning? What is, what is he getting at by saying that they spoke in other tongues? Well, look at the following verses. Verse 5. Now there were standing in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are, who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And now there is like a little parenthesis. The author, we cannot see it in our English Bibles, but uh, it's clear that there is a parenthesis on the part of Luke here. It's not that the people are talking. It's a parenthesis. And in verse 9, he tells us, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome. Huh, by the way, the, the Rome, the center of the world, is almost left to the end. Uh, uh, visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs, and now people come back. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So what is what is going on here? Well, when you there is a map, uh, there is a mental map that Luke is working with here. We are spoiled in modernity because uh, there are maps everywhere. I mean, you pull up your phone and you can see a map. In antiquity, um, there 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 wasn't a very how can we say uh, a map of the world that was. Uh, um, 
the official map of the world, you know, where, but there were all kinds of different maps. Uh, and, you know, sometimes there would be maps uh, painted in walls and uh, the Roman Empire making uh, propaganda and they would show you, you know, the whole world covered uh, by the Roman Empire. And of course, the whole world didn't, didn't include North America <laughs> or, or anything like that. It's just the Mediterranean, which the Romans called Mare Nostro, our, our sea, you know. Yeah, right, that's not your sea. But Mare Nostro, the, the, and then all the way to Gibraltar, the pillars of, of Heracles, and, and down maybe to India. Uh, and uh, you see people from all over the world here. And the point, I think, is that uh, now all these people who are so different, as it is demonstrated by their different languages, now they're all going to become one in Jesus Christ. They're going to become one in Jesus Christ when they receive Jesus Christ towards the end of the sermon. Uh, also, <clears throat> here there is a, uh, it's a catalog of nations. That's the way that, that scholars speak of this section of Acts 2. They call it a catalog of nations. And they, they uh, uh, link it to the catalog of nations of Genesis chapter 10. So, I don't know if you remember, it's an, kind of an obscure passage, but in Genesis 10, after Noah comes out of the ark and, and you know, gets drunk and all that, and, <laughs> and then he starts talking about his children and, the, and their repopulation of the earth. And he talks about, you know, the ham, and, you know, they populate it, and then there's talk of all these lands that includes Greece and so on, and this son, and then the people of... of all this part of the world came from this son of Noah. We have something similar going on here. We should read Acts 2 in connection to Genesis 10. And I think the idea here in Acts 2 is that um, the, 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 all those nations that were scattered and separated uh, after the flood are being brought back together by the Holy Spirit through Jesus. So... Uh, when Christians speak about being a people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, that's not just because we're excited about internationalism. Um, the, the main reason, as cool as that is, well, it depends who you are. Some people don't like that very much. But, uh, but uh, the, the reason is a theological reason. It is God's will that all people, or the people of all kinds... Uh, become one through the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. And uh, we see then in the book of Revelation, towards the end, when we're given a vision of the end of times, that around the throne of God, there are peoples of every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping God together, worshiping the Lamb. So it's beautiful. I can go to a place in Africa and find a sister or brother in the Lord and all of a sudden, we have more in common and more warmth to each other than perhaps my neighbor, whom I have known for 10 or 15 years. It's because the Holy Spirit is linking us together. Okay. Um, for, for a minute or two, I want to uh, talk about the, the language that is used. Uh, united, to receive, to be filled... How should we understand this usage of language? 
very, very important part of the Bible is understanding the language of the Bible. Let me put it in a crude way. If you have the Holy Spirit and person X has the Holy Spirit and person Y does not have the Holy Spirit, does that mean that person X weighs a couple of ounces more than person Y? <laughs> what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Where is the Holy Spirit? In my stomach? In my brain? In my guts? My heart? <laughs> you see, it becomes kind of silly when we start thinking about very over-literalistic language when talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. I think it's a way of expressing a reality that is impossible for human language as such to express. There's, there's no way to, to, to explain just how amazing it is that the Holy Spirit becomes one with us. And so the Bible uses regular language to feel, to receive, and so on. And that's what we call an analogical use of language. It's similar to saying, well, somewhat similar to saying, you know, the sun is setting. And we know that the sun is not setting, but we speak of that reality in that way. So the, the being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking of a great reality, something that is true. Yes, it is true that we, we do have the Holy Spirit. He is in us. But exactly what that's like uh, in scientific precision, we cannot explain it. And I think that also that is how it is with the language of love. You know, how, how do you mean that you love your children? Um, the language is not sufficient to express the love that you have for your children. So it's one of those things. Uh, so let's, let's be careful. Let's not be crude in our use of language. This is just analogical language to help us understand some great reality. That is true, nonetheless. Okay, we're almost finished. Uh, but I, I did want to look at uh, the last one, number three. Let's see. Uh, yeah, so just a couple of minutes. Because after today, we are a church that is looking for a rector. We're, we're looking for a priest who is going to lead the congregation. And uh, the Holy Spirit, it's all about leading the church um, to find and to take us to the right place and to the right people. Are there steps in the Acts of the Apostles uh, as to how to discover and do the will of God? Well, yes. Roman number three, the Spirit is the one who leads the church into new horizons. In some ways, Advent Episcopal is going into a new horizon because we're looking for a new rector. How, how do we see in the church the Spirit, lead, excuse me, how do we see in Acts the Spirit leading the church? Well, this leading is a combination of listening to Scripture and listening to the Spirit. So as we're looking for a new rector, to the extent that we're involved in that, we have to listen to Scripture and we have to listen to the Spirit. Uh, and uh, a beautiful example, again we can read this at home, is Cornelius, uh, who was someone who was not a Jew. Uh, the, the early disciples of Jesus, they were okay with non-Jews becoming Christians, but they thought that for those 
uh, people to become Christians, they first have to become Jews, right? Because Christianity comes from Judaism. And how do I become a Jew? Well, if you're a male, you have to be circumcised. So they all believe, I think they were under the impression that, oh, that's cool, you know, we'll, we'll take people from different countries to be followers of Jesus. But of course, they first have to commit to Judaism. In the case of men, they have to be circumcised. But Jesus had another idea, and that was that he would receive people from everywhere, and they wouldn't even have to be circumcised. They didn't have to become a Jew first. They can be part of the people of God simply by believing in Jesus. And the disciples had a very, very difficult time accepting that, so that the Spirit has to lead them and push them time and time and again. And one example is Cornelius in chapter 10. And here we have scripture where we are told in many places that God wants to make one of the whole world, not just Jews to be his people, but also Gentiles to be his people. So there is that. But then there is an experience, and that's Peter having a vision. Peter uh, uh, being told in a vision that a God has cleansed them. Go, go, on, go, on, go on and find Cornelius. So it's a matter of listening to the scriptures and listening to the Spirit and remembering that what the Spirit is going to say is not going to be contradictory of Scripture. So if we're going to look for a rector at Advent, uh, and you ask me the question, how do I know that your the lead that you have is a lead from the Spirit and not your own? Well, I could say, well, the rector should be a Christian. right? We would agree with that, right? Uh, you know, uh, the rector must be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So there are a lot of things that we already see in the scriptures, but there are other things that are not direct in scripture that we need to depend upon what God is telling us as individuals and as a, as a group in the church. But we have to look at those things and say, are there any hints of those things in the, old, in the Bible? If there aren't, then I'd be careful. But if there are some hints, uh, then I would trust the experience of the church in that way. Okay, I wish I, we had more time, but we have to stop it there. Um, we'll meet one last time uh, on this topic next week, God willing, on uh, salvation in the book of Acts. So, so, Antenor, you brought the how in the book, in John, the Spirit is the helper, but in Acts, he's, he's different. Well, salvation is spoken about in one way by the Apostle Paul, but in a slightly different way in the Acts of the Apostles. How, how does Acts envision salvation? That's kind of what we're going to look at next week. So, thank you. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.